Congratulations, you're listening to Podcast Rebellion. Welcome to Red Cup Radio, Podcast Rebellion. <laughs> uh, Red Cup Radio is actually a throwback to what we called it like back when it wasn't even, I don't think, Red Cup Rebellion at that point. Um, Podcast Rebellion. Uh, I'm your host, Jukal American, uh, and I'm joined today by Whiskey Wednesday. We are finally ready to really kick off uh, football podcast season, which means these podcasts are going to get much more common. Uh, and yeah, we've got a lot to talk about. We're really excited. Um, this isn't necessarily like a football season season preview because it's too early for that. We'll have another one of those closer to when the actual season kicks off. But we just think there are some interesting things to talk about, uh, including... Um, you know, how we define success and what, uh, who needs to, to step up to, to become successful uh, this season. But first, uh, we'd actually, we, we, it's been a while since we talked to you, so we wanted to talk a little bit about some additions we've made in the portal. Um, and Whiskey, I'll actually uh, pass this along to you for our, our first portal edition here. Yeah, thank you. And thanks, everybody, for listening tonight. Um, so a big addition that kind of came out of nowhere um, a couple of months ago at this point. But uh, as you'll remember, uh, starting kicker freshman Caden Costa was suspended uh, for the Egg Bowl and received what is presumably going to be a year long ban. Um, yeah, I think I think team. technically he can play in the Egg Bowl. Yeah. Uh, according to him, he just like took some over the counter supplements that had something in them that wasn't approved, whatever he's appealing, very unlikely to be overturned. So, uh, enter Jonathan Cruz from the university of Charlotte, uh, um, Cruz missile. Yeah. Uh, he's a, a grad transfer. If I'm not mistaken, I think he only has one year of eligibility, which works out pretty perfectly. Yeah. Um, you know, was an all conference kicker for I think what conference USA and had school records for field goal percentage and uh, tied for the longest field goal in school history. Um, so seems to be a really quality starter to just plug and play. Um, and, you know, couldn't have come at a better time because I don't think we had another answer or kicker at all. So um, in addition to Cruz, uh, we had the addition of Jalen Robinson. I'm trying to remember for sure if we might have discussed him or if his commitment maybe seemed imminent the last time we recorded or something like that. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I would just say that Jalen Robinson, uh, you know, it was fantastic one season at UCF uh, in 2020, which was the COVID shortened year. He, had, he caught 55 balls for 979 yards. Uh, and then in Gus Malzahn's first season at the helm, uh, it did not go well in 2021. He only had 18 catches for 322 yards and decided to get the heck out of Dodge. Uh, and so, you know, Ole Miss hopes that he's more 2020 than he is 2021. I mean, <clears throat> I think that the... the uh, maybe not alarming, but a reason for pause with Jalen Robinson. And I'm sure he gets this all the time and probably hates it, but he's five foot nine. Uh, and, you know, that can work definitely. Uh, you know, receiver is a position where like, if you can be shifty and get separation, then, you know, you can make it work. That's great. Uh, but 
<clears throat> it's not as if he's going to be doing a lot uh, on the outside, I guess. Um, and you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe suddenly like we're going to see a package where he goes out there, but he's not at all a prototypical outside receiver. He's very much uh, positioned as a, as a slot guy. Yeah, absolutely. Watching his highlights, he did play outside some at Central Florida, which I, is I saw that too. But yeah, but yeah, not typically what you want in that spot. Um, also worth noting, he started his college career at Oklahoma, which is pretty famous for cranking out excellent wide receivers. So whoever was scouting receivers for them at the time must have seen something good in him. Um, and also, I think worthy of note, his 2021 season where he only had 18 catches was shortened by injury. I can't remember yeah. how many games he missed, but he was not all there that season uh, and also was suffering under the the run-heavy offense of Gus Malzahn. Yeah. And, you know, Gus Malzahn, like, sorry about the tangent, side, side comment here. But I remember at one point thinking he was like a offensive savant. Uh, sure. And, uh, you know, it seems that he just didn't evolve or, you know, maybe he was just significantly ahead of things in the transition over to the like RPO spread, all that sort of stuff. And then once the rest of the country caught up, then he didn't really have differentiating factors, but it, yeah, it's definitely interesting to there. see him like suddenly just struggle a ton, even at like UCF, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. He never had a great passing attack that I can remember when he was at, Auburn, you know, his most successful uh, season was Cam Newton. in 2013. Well, wait, did he coach Cam Newton? He was the offensive coordinator for Cam Newton. Okay, okay, okay. So Cam Newton, who was a cheat code at the time, and then <laughs> uh, that guy was unbelievable. And then their run-heavy quarterback, um, I think maybe like a wide receiver convert or something, who won the title for them. Well. No, he went to the national championship game and they lost to Oregon, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or did they win? I don't know. Who cares? Um, anyway, those are his two most successful seasons and never really had a successful passing attack outside of that. But mm-hmm. anyway, so Jalen Robinson is an Ole Miss Rebel now, which is cool. Um, so we also had a couple of portal misses. So Deion Smith, uh, LSU wide receiver from uh, the Jackson area, was long held to be a given to, to transfer to Ole Miss. He's, you know, six foot three, big rangy guy, the kind of guy that we don't really have many of on roster right now. Um, wasn't hugely productive as a freshman at LSU, but showed some, some uh, potential. Anyway, um, he got behind the eight ball academically and could not get out from behind it. So he is in junior college now. Is that correct? Yeah. Or even. Yeah, he's he's in junior college. Yeah, or I I think that if he's not in junior college, it's because of some scandalous thing or something like that. But no, he the intention certainly was for him to go to junior college. Yeah, we missed on him, and we also sent feelers out to a couple of portal linebackers. the The closest we got was one from North Texas named Katie Davis. Uh, he was an, an all conference player and and would have been a grad transfer, but I think he entered too late into the portal and would have had to get a waiver and wasn't confident that he could get it. And so he, I think will remain at North Texas. Yeah. Unless they pass the 
legislation about you can transfer as many times as you want whenever you want. Um, in which case, you got to think he would quickly transfer over. Um, One would hope. I guess would there be would that be effective immediately, or is that even <sighs> known? If that would, I don't know. I mean, it's such a can of worms. Um, yeah. But I got to say, my, my my opinion on that is like. I know that, you know, you can make plenty of very reasonable arguments that like it's bad for college football and everything, but I think it's good because players should be able to do what they want. Uh, yeah. It's silly to have different standards for coaches and players um, and for players and regular students who can transfer, you know, yeah. whenever, wherever they want. Yeah, I mean, like within the bounds of a school year, you know, and mm -hmm. and having reasonable time. Like, obviously, once you're far enough in into a year or season or whatever we want to call it, semester, um, you know, there comes a point where like you could withdraw, but it's not a good look. Um, and that's probably you know, certainly there needs to be a limitation academically on when players can transfer. Uh, you know, if it if it totally dismantles their ability to pass classes and things. But uh, outside of that, I, I think they should be able to go and do what they want. Yeah. Uh, anyway. <clears throat> yeah. So <laughs> uh, I'm sure that plenty of our listeners have plenty of opinions on that. Cause there are lots of divided opinions and I, I get like, I totally understand uh, the argument against it. I think that there's not a great answer. Um, I, I want to maintain college football being awesome. Like it is now too, but, uh, at the same time, like, I don't think that means that we should force people in to stay in situations where, you know, that, that don't make sense for them. Um, and everybody always wants to talk about, like, you got to fight for it and compete. Like, well, look, if if Jackson Dart wins the starting quarterback battle, I mean, what is Luke Altmaier going to do? Like, how how could, you know... Is he going to win it back? You, you know, it, it just puts him into some such a difficult spot uh, that I don't blame anyone for transferring in that kind of situation. Yeah, absolutely. But um, let's move on to, uh, to your next topic here. Absolutely. So some preseason projections, all conference teams have been released. Um on the the all sec team as voted by coaches is that correct I can't yeah yeah um there were four rebels who were placed among the first three teams uh the first team selection nick broker as an offensive guard um highly regarded left tackle obviously who switched to guard and, and seems like it's a pretty much a slam dunk that he's going to be very good um and then second team selection uh, one, Jonathan Mingo, um, much hyped, often injured, uh, Ole Miss wide receiver. Um, he's, he's popped off for a couple of games. I think he had a huge LSU game in 2020, um, if I'm remembering right, and, and maybe one or two others, but really couldn't get or stay on the field last year. Um, and here he is in what typically is a pretty great conference for wide receivers on the second team. Um, so is the Jonathan Mingo hype train legit or is it too speculative? Yeah. Um, I want Jonathan Mingo to be really good. Uh, he looks like he could be really good. And 
we've seen times when he is really good, but even when he's not injured, those times are not have not been frequent enough. Um, you know, I think that with like with DK Metcalf, DK Metcalf was injured all the time, but when he was not, it was like, hmm, that dude can play. Uh, and I don't really feel that way about Mingo. I mean, again, like I think I, I'm certainly happy that he's on our team, uh, but I just don't feel like we have a surefire number one receiver who can be counted on to make big plays when they need to be made. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we hear rumblings now and then that Mingo is supposed to be really good and that, you know, coaches think he is an NFL talent. Um, but certainly we haven't seen enough on the field and even the games where he's been productive. It's not one of those like watching AJ Brown go off in a game. Um, that's the guy that I most wanted to compare him to in terms of frame, in terms of skill set and stuff uh, coming in. And, you know, they, they do look a lot alike. You could put them in pads next yeah. to each other and, and yeah, they look very similar, but yeah, that, that shiftiness, that open field vision, the ability to just catch anything with within an enormous radius. We haven't really seen that as much from him. Right. Uh, prediction time. Who do you think has more receiving yards, Jonathan Mingo or Michael Trigg? Ooh, ooh, ooh. Yards, um, not, not not receptions. I'm going to say Trigg. Okay. Yeah, I think receptions, Trigg is probably an easy choice there. But uh, yards maybe makes it a little more interesting. Uh, I yeah, also really. think Michael Trigg, but I have crazy expectations for Michael Trigg. So. <laughs> Hard not to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So then, uh, you know, third string or not third string, third team, all SEC. Oh, and I should I should actually mention uh, I said, yeah, when you said these were voted on by the coaches, but that's not at all right. This is the media all SEC poll. Oh, um, yeah, I know. Right. I, I, I need to get it together. Um so on the third team, had two Ole Miss players uh, also on offense, Zach Evans, running back, uh, and Jeremy James, offensive lineman. I guess he's – is he left tackle now? Yeah, he's left tackle, Jeremy James. Um, yeah, yeah uh, thoughts on those selections? Zach Evans, that definitely makes a lot of sense. Still, um, you know, an honor. Again, running back, offensive line these are positions where the SEC is usually pretty stacked. Um, and so to be on a team without having played a snap um, is pretty impressive. Jeremy James shifting from right tackle to left tackle, also pretty impressive. You know, you never know how that change is going to go. And to get that kind of preseason honor under your belt, that's that's pretty cool. I think bodes really well for him. Yeah, I mean, that's, it's definitely good. Uh I, I think that, you know, my expectation in general for Zach Evans is also pretty sky high. Uh, and I, I, rec I recognize that, so like Chris Rodriguez Jr. for Kentucky was a second team All-SEC selection. And obviously, like his production last season was amazing. He had 1,300 yards rushing, uh, you know, nine touchdowns. It, there's no conceivable way that this guy is, you know, not 
listed above Zach Evans on a media preseason poll. I, I totally get it. But I'd be surprised at the end of the year if Chris Rodriguez Jr., if we can look back and say that Chris Rodriguez Jr. was was a better running back than Zach Evans. Yeah, I uh, agree with and, that. I, and I mean, like, you know, that's not even call, you know talking about, like, you know, some of the other players who are who are above him. I mean, like, I know Tank Bigsby is first team on SEC, and you know he was he was good at Auburn. I I I get it, but like, I don't know. I <laughs> I I think that we could be in for a one year of a phenomenal phenomenal running back in Zach Evans, and then he's gone. Yeah, that's certainly likely um i think it's likely that he's gone i hope that he has the season to back it up i can see a scenario where his usage isn't super high um but efficiency right yeah where he has breakout games and breakout drives and uh, a great you know yard per carry average um and stuff like that but i think kiffin doesn't want to lean on one back too heavily. I think Ulysses Bentley is really good. I think Zach Evans uh, has indicated to some degree that he doesn't want uh, to expend all his, you know, mileage in college. Um, and I think those factors combined um, means we're not going to see him getting 20 carries a game or anything like that. But I think he is going to be pretty phenomenal. No, sure. And, and you know, that's, that's why I reference um, why I said, you know, we might look at the end of the year and say that he, he was a better running back. I, I don't necessarily mean like a more volume based, you know, pro- prolific running back in that way. Sure. Um, yeah. So uh, no defensive selections on any of the three uh, all SEC, the first or second or third team. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's interesting because in Ole Miss circles, it's expected that the defense is going to have a lot of talent. You know, there are a couple of holes, uh, mostly Chance Campbell and Jake Springer, that we're kind of worried about uh, filling. Sam Williams, obviously a, an amazing player, but we do have a couple other pass rushers with some potential. Um, but the defense has some potential stars. Uh, Cedric Johnson had a ton of sacks last year sitting, you know, or playing behind Sam Williams or playing alongside him. Um, AJ Finley has been super productive, started a ton of games, has a lot of interceptions and pass breakups. Uh, Troy Brown, the transfer linebacker from central Michigan um, was extremely productive. Sorry for that noise uh, from my phone. Uh, Extremely productive in, in, you know, three years at Troy, all conference every year. Um, you know, a ton of sacks, very effective pass rusher, various effective sideline to sideline kind of guy. Um, you think that one of those guys could have snuck onto the third team, uh, but, you know, maybe not. Obviously, SEC also has a lot of defensive stars every year, but um, these are guys that we kind of earmarked as, you know, maybe they, they could have been snubbed a little bit. Yeah, I think on defense, it's... It's tough, actually. Um, I, I, AJ Finley, I think, is a, a very good player, and you know could have deserved, uh, you know, some recognition here. But like, Alabama has four defensive backs in the, uh, on the first three teams uh, of all SEC, and like, you know, maybe AJ Finley is actually better than one or two of those guys. Uh, I don't know, but 
they're going to get the benefit of the benefit of the doubt. Uh, and I actually, I referenced this recently in a post. I, I am, I think it's amazing how much people are sleeping on Miles' battle, um, because like the guy was like twentieth on the team in tackles last year, and yet had nine pass breakups. Uh, so he led the team in pass breakups and did not lead the team in tackles, which is precisely what you want to see in a corner. And, you know, there were so many times when there'd be a deep pass and it was just like, well, miles battle six, five, I guess I'll just hit it. (laughs) Yeah. He's about my favorite cornerback ever at Ole Miss at this point. (laughs) I, Mm -hmm. I love Sinquez, man. Sinquez. (laughs) Yeah. It's hard to argue against that. But it's fun to watch big guys out on the perimeter mixing it up with the other team's biggest biggest receiver and thinking like, eh, we got this, instead of like, oh, we're about to get dunked on. Uh, <laughs> and so, yeah. yeah, I love watching him play. I think he's a phenomenal athlete, too, and he's not just tall. Um, I think he's great. I think DeAndre Prince is pretty great, too. Um, maybe the best pair of starting corners we've had. I mean, definitely since Golson and Hilton. Um, but potentially better. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm interested to see how, how things go, uh, there. And, you know, I think that there's a decent chance that we look back at the end of the season and it's possible, honestly, I was thinking about this the other day, like it's possible that to an extent, or at least the first two teams are kind of right. In that maybe Ole Miss doesn't, maybe Ole Miss's defense actually doesn't really have a first or second team All SEC defensive player uh, as it stands right now, but I think that the defense is really solid across the board, uh, and that puts them in a you know really cool spot to be able to keep it going and maintain the dominance that we saw towards the end of last season uh, while maybe not having as much of like a standout Sam Williams, Chance Campbell, Mark Robinson type of player. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just think that if they can take care of, if they can get some production from the linebacker position and it doesn't have to be crazy production, but some production from the linebacker position, I think the defense could be really, really great. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And you know a guy who could sneak on to one of those postseason lists is J.J. Piggies. Um, I don't think he's done enough to be on the preseason lists, but he just looks so dominant, and we've heard such crazy things about him um, that you know it seems like he could be a guy who makes a really big difference at nose tackle. Yeah, so that brings us to uh, a good question. Who is your breakout candidate? Is it J.J. Piggies? Like, of, of the people we haven't really talked about yet. Yeah, I was trying to think whether I would name him or not. I honestly think he's almost too much on the radar if you really follow Ole Miss closely. Um, So in terms of a breakout player, I'm tempted to say instead, can I name two? Sure. sure. I'm going to name two. Uh, So J.J. Henry playing slot receiver and uh, Ulysses Bentley playing running back. I think both of them are going to have really good seasons. Uh, and they may not be the tops at their position, but they may give us some production where we really don't expect it. Okay. Yeah, I, I definitely like those picks. Um, my single breakout candidate, and we've already talked about Michael Trigg on the podcast, so I actually can't talk about him. Although, 
if I could. He's he's my number one. Uh, I think I'm actually strangely drawn to uh, Aishim Young. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I think that Aishim Young, uh, his highlight film from Iowa State, it was it, it's beautiful. And it's quite literally the same defense that Ole Miss runs. Uh, like the entire defensive staff a, a year ago in the summer flew to, I, I guess, is it at Ames? It's an Ames, right? Sure. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, flew to Ames and met with the defensive staff there at Iowa State and learned the 3-2-6 from them. So the fact that Aishim Young started and starred in a role in that 3-2-6 puts him in, you know, it, he's not a normal transfer who's having to learn everything about this new defense. He, he knows the defense. And uh, gosh, he just wrecks people. <laughs> he's so fun to watch. Yeah, hard to hard to argue against that pick. Um, we have a lot of fun guys at the safety position. So we talked about AJ Finley. We talked about Aishim Young. There's Taishim Johnson. There's yeah, Otis cool Reese. There's yeah. Ladarius Tennyson. There's MJ Daniels. There's some guys who could like play at a lot of really good schools who are at Ole Miss at the same time right now. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Ladarius Tennyson is definitely something somebody I'm interested to kind of see more from and and find out what we what we have in him. Uh, okay, so the the polls came out, uh, and along with having voted for you know who's first, second, and third team, the media also voted for an order of finish, and they have Ole Miss fourth in the West. Uh, what are your thoughts? So I think. I think fifth is the floor and second is probably the ceiling for Ole Miss. But I think we should be third, man. I think I think Arkansas last year, who is who is third, um, caught us when we were playing some of the poorest ball that we played all year. Oh, um, the defense was a mess. Oh yeah, the defense was horrible. Uh, we we still won the game. It was horrifically close hated it uh <laughs> everyone was like that was such a good game no that game freaking sucked no it was awful uh, I hated that game. because we knew i mean we honestly knew that like we were the better team we were just playing really horrific defense or you know right. we, we hoped that it was horrific defense and you know what it, it was that was a bad that was a bad stretch for our defense um <laughs> So really, I I don't see us uh, coming into that game and just getting abused by KJ Jefferson um, like we were last year. Um, I, I think we're gonna have a better scheme to stop uh, the run to you know make him actually throw the ball downfield well, um, which is not really his wheelhouse. I think that the most interesting thing there. So uh, I guess we haven't really. This is not great pod, but the order of finish in the West is Alabama, A&M, Arkansas, Ole Miss, LSU, State, Auburn. And I think that one thing that really surprises me, and I, I, I guess it shouldn't be that surprising since it's a media poll, but Arkansas got a vote to win the West. Yeah, but that's like one out of 100 and... 151. 181. Okay. Yeah. I, I know, I know. But I mean, like... That could be Houston on. nut. <laughs> media member Houston nut. Yeah. Uh, 
could be. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. It's just you know dumb. Like they should not. A and M got three votes, so Alabama got 177 votes. Uh, I guess I'm a little surprised that more people didn't go with like a trendy A and M there. But anyway, um, yeah, I I think that Ole Miss fourth is actually fine. Um, I I think that it's likely that Ole Miss would, in my opinion, will end up ahead of Arkansas. Uh, but it makes sense to me that they would not be picked in the top four. I mean, there are a lot of question marks that Ole Miss is filling with transfers that, you know, media members may not have like taken the time to really research the validity of all those transfers and, you know, the likelihood that they'll be able to, you know, play at a productive level. Totally. Yeah. It's, it's very reasonable. Um, Arkansas, they're getting a fair amount of portal help too, but they also lost some to the portal. Um, yeah. And I don't know. I think the main thing in their corner is they're returning a quarterback who is pretty good. Yeah, I think uh, that's, that's pretty good. very legitimate. And especially media, if you're forced to, you know, n- know a little bit about every team instead of know a lot about one team, uh, then you're going to go with the team with the experienced quarterback. So that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, maybe there are people who disagree. Maybe you disagree. But as it stands right now, I would trade for this one year, I would trade Jackson Dart or and or... Luke Altmaier for KJ Jefferson. Do you disagree? No, I agree. He's good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's a known quantity too. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, the, the ceiling on a Jackson dart is maybe higher, but, uh, KJ Jefferson has done it. Um, yeah, I know. Michael Borky actually had an interesting point on his podcast the other day where he actually sees fourth as kind of a, uh, signal this is not the word he used but something along the lines of that Ole Miss is sort of like taken seriously by the media uh and the point that he was making wasn't that you know fourth is awesome and Ole Miss is poor little Ole Miss and not good uh it was actually that like uh having lost Matt Corral and Chance Campbell and you know Sam Williams and having question marks and everything like that Ole Miss is still ahead of LSU uh, and I, I recognize that LSU had a bad year last year and, you know, there's, a, there's a lot of uncertainty there too, but the media generally gives LSU the benefit of the doubt and they don't give Ole Miss the benefit of the doubt. And so, you know, his point was that like those two being switched is actually kind of big. And I think that's an interesting point. Uh, and, and one that, you know, has some merit to it. Yeah. I mean, the assumption is always that LSU is going to have talent and then they went out and bought, one of the more successful coaches out there. I mean, I don't think Brian right. Kelly, I don't think Brian Kelly's great, but I think he is a successful coach that has been a successful coach for a long time. Uh, my opinion is that he's going to have kind of a rude awakening at, at LSU, but I also don't know. Um, yeah. and, and I think that normally that kind of hire would get a lot of media hype behind it. Right. Right, precisely. Uh, okay, so um, moving on a little bit here uh, to, to talk about success. Lane Kiffin, like a day or two ago in a press conference, 
said something about how he doesn't judge success, or at least this year isn't really planning to judge success on kind of what the end record is. Uh, and I, I, I know that oftentimes that's a little bit of coach speak, and it pr- probably is a little bit of coach speak here too. Um, but I also think it's somewhat legit. Like, I don't think that – I think you and I would both agree that it's not as if for us to call this success – Ole Miss has to match or exceed its win total from a year ago, right? Correct. Yeah. Right. So I think that then that leads to the question, like there is certainly a baseline where like, you know, if Ole Miss goes three and nine, no matter what happens in the year, like it's not a successful season, right? Right. So is there, is there, what is the lowest record where you would come away saying, eh, it was still a successful year? I'd say, so I'm looking at the schedule right now, and I'm really waffling. I would say seven games would leave a bad taste in your mouth, but I think if we win seven games, it'll be just because we couldn't find good quarterback play or Uh a horrible injury-ridden season or something like that. Because let's, let's quickly riddle off seven games that we really need to win. Troy, Central Arkansas, Georgia Tech, Tulsa four Vanderbilt Auburn five six Mississippi State seven uh, and that leaves us losing to Kentucky and LSU and Arkansas mm-hmm. yeah I, I think um, I think for seven wins to feel like a successful season it needs to be that there was a slip up early you know, Ole Miss lost to Georgia Tech. I mean, I know that would be bad because Georgia Tech's bad. But in this scenario, right, like Georgia, something weird happens. Georgia, Ole Miss turns it over five times and Georgia Tech wins by three. And uh, then, you know, Kentucky, they, they lose a lot of, you know, a number of games. But then towards the well, you have the schedule pulled up, and I don't. Uh, A&M is late, right? A&M is after Auburn and LSU and before Alabama and Arkansas. Yeah, okay, so so how, how about this scenario? Uh, let's say that Ole Miss loses to Georgia Tech in week three. They lose to Kentucky. Maybe even, okay, lose to Auburn. I know Auburn's bad. Like that, that would not be good. <clears throat> but let's say that of their final four, which are A&M, Alabama, Arkansas, Mississippi State, they go three and one and, you know, have quarterback play. And, you know, then they've lost, let's see, they beat Troy, Central Arkansas, Tulsa, uh, Tulsa, Vanderbilt, A&M, Arkansas, and Mississippi State. I, I think that, you come away from that saying like, okay, foundation is laid for next year. And you know, it, it wasn't a total loss. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think, I think for seven wins to feel good, it has to be like you said, like a a slow start, a couple slip ups, finish strong. Yeah. Because you know, this team could have a slow start. It's a lot of, a lot is coming together. Yeah. Um, Okay. But 
for that for the season to be successful, regardless of what that means, uh, there are a number of players that that really need to step up, and I think we should just highlight a few of those. This is this is the last segment of the podcast, uh, but you know who? Obviously, I think we don't really need to talk about quarterbacks. <laughs> uh, Luke Altmaier or Jackson Dart has to be serviceable, right? I mean, I don't think they have to be amazing, but they have to be SEC average. Yeah, they have to either be very dynamic or make very, very few mistakes. Mm -hmm. You know, give us some serviceable SEC play. Yeah, I think that's kind of bare bones what we need and you know they're both talented and they're both coached by lane kiffin and they both have a great offensive line and great running backs and so yeah they should be able to to crank out some decent production even if they're not you know headed for the nfl yeah i think that one of the reasons it's tough to anticipate or tough to expect them to be just incredible is actually because the next players that need to step up for a successful season are at the wide receiver position. We've already talked about Mingo. We talked about Jalen Robinson as a transfer, but like there are no, tr there are no proven wide receivers on the team. No, there are guys who are proven that they can be kind of like your third wide receiver, but you can't have a team full of number three wide receivers. You got to have some guys who step up and get open against starting cornerbacks in the SEC. Uh, so yeah. we have Mingo, we have Jalen Robinson, we have Jordan Watkins from Louisville, who uh, is is young but you know fast. Made some big plays last year. Uh, there's Jalen Knox, transferred from Missouri. Um, he seems kind of like I don't know. He he seems like. What am I thinking of? Again, yeah, he seems like a guy who would probably be like a third wide receiver in the SEC, which is not what we're looking for. Uh, then we have Malik Heath uh, transferring in from Mississippi State, who has um, a crazy athletic frame, but never produced much at State. You know, ran into some discipline issues. Um, and so between, I mean, it's really those like five guys. We need somebody to step up and be actually good in the SEC. And, you know, if that doesn't happen, that it could be really bad. Yeah, and I, you know, and a player who played well in the Grove Bowl is J.J. Uh, Henry, and I, I always really liked his uh, his high school film, but he's really tiny. I mean, you know, that's a running theme with with all of these, or not all of them, most of these receivers that you just named that we would like to see step up, they're small, um, and you know that. May not may not work. Uh, we just talked about Miles Battle. I mean, Miles Battle is again not on the top three All SEC uh, secondaries according to the uh, the media. And you know uh, these these receivers are going to be faced with incredible defensive backs very frequently, and you know need to fight to get open. And uh, it, we'll see. I mean. You know, you, you said Jalen Knox seems like another third receiver. These A lot of these guys seem like, seem like third receivers. We should, you know, point out this is going into the year. Like, we, we haven't seen them. The only thing we've seen is what their production has been either so far at Ole Miss or at previous schools. And, you know, 
maybe Jalen Robinson's 900 and whatever yards at UCF transfers over to the SEC and he has 900 and something yards. Well, great. That's awesome. He's an awesome receiver. Uh, it's just that, you know, we don't have reason to anticipate that at the moment. And so uh, with with unproven quarterbacks and unproven receivers, it's tough to en- en- envision a, a strong passing game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the next couple guys that we have flagged are J.J. Pegues, and I said, and or Taiwan Malone. Um, really, I, I think in terms of remaking this defense, one of the things that would be really helpful in you know helping us kind of survive some of these big losses is having a defensive tackle who wrecks pockets. Um, and I think Pegues is that, can be that. I think Taiwan Malone has the talent to be that. He's still very young. Um, but yeah, if one of those guys really shows out and has a disruptive season, that goes a really long way to, uh, you know, helping Ole Miss to, you know, cross that threshold. Yeah. I mean, certainly I, I'm a fan of Cedric Johnson and Katie Hill. Uh, I, I also like the addition of Jared Ivy out of the portal from Georgia tech. Uh, but you're right. Like, I think that, um, that JJ Pegues has the potential to be a havoc wreaking type of player that modern college or modern football defenses really exist on, um, you know, it, the age of a, a defense that just holds the other offense all the time and uh, averages giving up like 11 points a game. Uh, there, there may be more defenses in the future that, that do that. Uh, but, it's super uncommon. Mm-hmm. And the way that modern defenses work is on big plays, picks, fumbles, or just, you know, getting you into long yardage situations that you can't really get out of. Uh, and I think that JJ Pegues is the type of player that is unique in his ability to, to flash that at least. We'll see if he can do it on a consistent basis transitioning from like a gimmicky tight end and also sometimes defensive lineman at Auburn over to a full-time defensive lineman at Ole Miss. We'll see if he can consistently make it happen. Yeah. Um, so next we have Michael Trigg. We've talked about him a lot and I think he goes a long way towards helping hide some of those deficiencies that we might have in the wide receiver room. I could even see him being split out wide quite a bit just to kind of force the defense to, to scramble around and try to figure out what to do about that. Um, anything else you want to add about him? Uh, only that I think that he could be, um, gosh, if, if Evan Ingram hadn't been at Ole Miss recently, uh, I, I would say sort of like the most prolific receiving tight end in Ole Miss history. <laughs> uh, I mean, I guess like receiving tight end in Ole Miss history is sort of like a weird flex because, you know, even in a time when Ole Miss would have all Americans back in the sixties or whatever, like the game was so different. Uh, but I just think that he is capable of highlights. Uh, you know, <laughs> like Clay Helton deserved to be fired because he got Michael Trigg the ball like nine times <laughs> as a freshman. Uh, and yeah. 
we saw just just from the Grove Bowl, which is a spring game, and usually you can't take much from it. He's a different player than almost everyone else on the field. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and Kiffin has a lot of success with tight ends. Um, I, I think they're just tr- going to try to get him the ball a ton. Mm-hmm. Um, so next on our list, I have Troy Brown, Ashanti Sistrunk, uh, two linebackers. Uh, Brown will certainly start um, unless he's hurt or something weird happens. Uh, Sistrunk is kind of the other presumed starter, having a lot of snaps, having you know a few plays under his belt. Um, but yeah, like those those guys need to play well. They need to play as well as you know two guys who who went to the NFL. Yeah, I mean, Troy Brown and a linebacker. Ashanti Sistrunk is is a good example. He's definitely a, I would say, the most likely of the other linebackers. Although, Kari Coleman is kind of interesting um, because he, for anyone who's listening who doesn't know who that is, he's a TCU defensive end who transferred to Ole Miss and is going to play linebacker. He was very undersized at defensive end. He, he's, he's, his frame supports uh, him playing linebacker much more, but he was very adept at, uh, I guess, moving behind the line of scrimmage and making plays. And so if we just talked about J.J. Pegues, obviously J.J. Pegues and Kari Coleman are very different players, but they succeed in the same way in that they can make big plays that make it harder for the offense to convert. Um but again, he's going to be learning the linebacker position, so it, it, it's it's tough to see that. Yeah. Uh, the, so the last thing you have here is the the star position, uh, which is that like safety linebacker ish. I wouldn't necessarily say hybrid. Like they definitely are safeties, but they play closer to the line of scrimmage as a linebacker typically might. Yeah, and what we saw last year was Jake Springer really taking control of that position and the games where he did not play were the games where the defense really struggled. And it's hard to know if that's a one-to-one correlation or if this defensive scheme really relies on that position. Uh, And if so, you know, we mentioned a lot of guys that we have that are safeties that, that hit hard. Um, but does one of those guys translate into the kind of player that Jake Springer was who can, you know, be really assignment sound, make a lot of tackles, you know, see the field really well um, and just kind of provide that, that glue between the linebackers and the secondary. Yeah. You know, on top of that, DJ Durkin uh, showed a, crazy unwillingness to blitz without Jake Springer. Obviously, DJ Durkin is no longer the defensive coordinator. Chris Partridge is. Uh, but but last year, um, when Jake Springer came back and was able to play, that coincided well with when suddenly, you know, we would send elaborate blitz packages. And uh, it turns out that KJ Jefferson, if you only send three every down, can make stuff happen uh, and hitting a hooker too. Um, and so, you know, one of the big reasons that the defense have turned around so much is that they started actually attacking the, the quarterback. Uh, so 
I guess the question is still the same is can they, can they cover, like you said, uh, when they're not blitzing or are, are they able to cover tight ends and, uh, you know, make a difference in their running game when they're blocked. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it, it's going to take a playmaker at that position, stepping up for, for this defense to really work, especially with the uncertainty at linebacker. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, that actually brings us to the end of our talking points here. Uh, thanks so much for listening, and we will actually be back. Uh, we are going to try to do this weekly, um, and I'm sure we'll have a ton more to talk about as football practice starts next week. <laughs>